Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cosmere Connections, where a bunch of book-loving nerds rereading Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere series. From book one to book 16 million, we'll be uncovering every secret connection there is to find. Today, we are joined by Swiggity Swoot. Count the skulls. John. I should live in a house. <laughs> okay. Spook burnt tin. Flared tin. Bad. <laughs> He's been flaring a lot of tin lately. I'm kind of worried about that guy. Quite a lot. And I'm Reader Warrior, and today we're going to be talking about Born Heroes, Hero of Ages, Part 2, Cloth and Glass, Chapter 14 through 18. And before we get to Spook burning all the tin he possibly can shovel into his mouth, Kay, I believe you have. A different chapter. You have the first chapter. Yeah, 14. Oh, wait, Spook is in the. Sorry. <laughs> the first I'm line, Spook flared to. <laughs> it's the first line. I'm so sorry. I remembered that I have a Spook chapter, and I was like, yeah, that's it. This is what happens when we prepare, prepare like two sets of chapters like at once. They all start to combine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kai. Uh, so. We're going to get to Spook in a second. First, we'll touch on the epigraph a little bit. So we kind of find out. I'm not going to read it because that takes too much time. They're so long. They're (laughs) They're not that long. They're like four sentences. This one is two paragraphs. So maybe you could like read it to like the tune of a song or something. I don't know. It's actually three paragraphs, so I'm not going to read it. Um, So. But I am going to say kind of what it's about. So we kind of find out a little bit more about Ruin. So when they first visited the Well of Ascension, um, they walked through this weird, dark, mist stuff uh, to get from the main chamber to where the well was. And that weird, dark, mist stuff was actually the body of Ruin was trapped there. The power of ruin was trapped near and around the well. And we also, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, in one of the epigraphs, I think it might be 18? Well, why don't we wait until we get to 18? Okay. (laughs) It was just we were on the concept of the well and, okay, this is not my day. (laughs) If it's if it's I'll relevant, just, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, no, go for it, go for yeah. it, reader. I'm sorry. It was just one of them talks about how it was preservation's power at the well. So now we know that both preservation, who we have not really seen at all yet, or have very little information on, that was the power Vin took at the well, and now we've got ruin was the power next to it, underneath it. Mm. Depends on how you visualize it. Ruin was the power that was being contained by the well. So, Preservation what was containing it. <laughs> so this is a spook chapter. Very exciting. This is our first spook POV chapter in the entire series, which is very exciting. So, and spook. Spook's not doing too hot. 
So um, the irony. So... Well played. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps he's doing a little too hot. <laughs> so he took Clubs' death really hard. And since then, he has been flaring tin constantly. All day, every day, even while he is sleeping, he is flaring tin. And it has changed him. Not only does he have the normal senses of tin, but his tin senses have been expanded even more. So, he... Basically, when he's walking out during the nighttime, the stars look like the sun to him. Cast the same amount of brightness as we would see the sun casting, same amount of light. The mists, he basically doesn't see them anymore. They are very faint to his eyes, he can barely make them out. I loved the way uh, it was written there. Stars blazed in the sky above him, a million tiny suns shining through the mists. It's like so on the nose, but it's also like perfect. Yeah. Also, I love that we saw Kelsier back in the Final Empire like talk about the stars and oh, it must be a really clear night if you can almost see them. And how Spook is now like the only one on this planet that can possibly look at the stars anytime he wants. So, not only can he do that, he can also, like, sense vibrations in the ground to feel if someone's coming towards him. He can, he's able to put his hand on a wall to sense the vibrations through the wall to tell if there's someone in the room. He can hear very faint conversations. If it's really still, he can hear, he can even hear people's heartbeats. That's so nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Spook is in Erto. So this is the first time that we've gotten to see Erto. Erto, as a reminder, is where Straff Venture, uh, where the Venture seat was, where he was from. When and when he marched, when Straff marched on Luthadel, after Straff marched on Luthadel. The Ska and Erto rebelled and overthrew the nobles that were in charge of the city. And they were led by a citizen named Quellian. Uh, so, and he has, he was very, he's been very harsh. Um, Kind of overdoing it a bit, I would say. Yeah. Spook mentions, like, burning, like, things being burned, and just, it seems, and the, the ornamental gardens being torn up, the, um, glass of the, the stained glass being shattered, like, I thought that was interesting because, like, sorry to interrupt, but um, I noticed that they almost never mentioned, like, the stained glass after the Final Empire fell. And I almost forgot about it because just, like, reading the Final Empire, it was such vivid imagery and, like, 
you know, they put it on the cover of the book, the copy I have. So like I was paying so hard attention to it. And I realized that like, if that's the metaphor of like the stained glass being like the nobility and the regime and when Vin shatters it at like the climax of that book, like bringing it up here made me think it's kind of trying. Maybe it's not kind of trying, but there's like a parallel between what the citizen is doing and how he's like looking for people of noble blood to execute them in the same way that like the final empire would look for people of a specific bloodline. Yeah. And to jump to where my chapter was, we also see like people are only allowed to wear like grays and browns and you can't ride horses and very weird rules. It's like, yeah, anything ostentatious at all. It's very restrictive. Um, and from what we can tell a little bit, I think people aren't very happy about it. Like, they'll live with it, but they, like, they're afraid. They're worried. They're afraid. The people in the city are. Uh, also, I want to draw attention to the the way that the city is set not a yes. city it has the street slots um which used to be canals that um many years ago got drained somehow they were drained of water something caused them to be drained of water and so they've been empty for years and instead of filling them in like with dirt or trying to refill them with water because it was too much it was too much work to try to figure that out. They instead just use them as streets, as the streets. So there are ladders leading up and the sides. They also have stairs built some places and ramps built some places so that people can get in and out of the street slots. <laughs> and these streets are big. I think Spook said that you could fit five boats across the center of the street slots next to each other. Just a very different imagery than the crowded Luthadel we had seen the last two books. Mm-hmm. Also, very it seems kind of like grimy to me. Like you're stuck in this like crevice. Like all the streets are lower than all the buildings you know if you're like hanging out in there it just seems like it'd be really depressing yeah and it's still very crowded especially above where they just have like narrow alleyways between the buildings so it's just a different kind of crowded i guess can i say something that has nothing to do with anything for this chapter um i was so tired of hearing the word slots reading this i was like could we please go with something else like brandon's so good at naming things could have came up with something cool like the veins or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I've never seen Beavis and Butthead. But would the people of Erto have named it something really interesting? Well, they might have continued to call them canals. That's true. Yeah. I guess they named them slots. <laughs> Uh, also with the street slots that it's very confusing to be down in the street slots because you don't have 
really any landmarks. It's hard to see the buildings up above to see where you are. Um, to be able to get to where you're going, you have to, it takes a lot of practice for you to orient yourself within them. Um, does anyone have anything else to say about Erto before I continue on with the chapter? Not about the physical city, but about yeah. like what it stands for. Um, so, uh, so we'll can, so Fuchs task that he's on in the city is to spy on Quellian and gather information. So what he uh, does this night is he goes to a, a building near uh, next door to Quellian's home center of government uh, to spy on a meeting that he knows that Quellian is having. So he Instead of sneaking through the alleyway next door, he sneaks into the building that the guards are in. <laughs> and he finds a room to hang out in, and he looks out, and we meet, we see Quellian's sister come out. Um, I'm blanking on her name right now. Beldre. Beldre. Uh, Beldre come out. And this is kind of spook. Part of the reason Spook always goes to Gwellian's meetings is because he wants to be here because he thinks she's great. Um, mm. <laughs> My boy's in love once again. You think she's pretty. You want a kiss? No, <clears throat> sorry. Hopeless <laughs> romantic. Um, yep. So, but Gwellian always um, has his sister go outside into what to be the garden uh, before he starts his meetings. So she's no. sitting out in the garden and Spook knows that that's his cue that he needs to start listening to what Quillian is saying. So he starts spying on Quillian. As he's listening to Quillian though, he's getting distracted by Beldra. Eyes keep like going down and noticing <laughs> Crank in because, you know, got a crank. Um... <laughs> <laughs> He so, might not admit it, but he does. But, he just um, hasn't realized it yet. One of the things that Quellian and his advisors talk about is um, Ellen Venture, Emperor Venture, and the fact that they have captured, they captured the city, that one city that they captured in part one. Um, but then, weirdly enough, they just abandoned the city and they took the populace with them. They're like, hmm, that's weird. Does anybody but, remember the know. name of the city? Pop quiz? No, my brain is mush right now. Uh, Vititan. The city. It's called Vititan. Mm. So, and that Elend is planning to send uh, ambassadors to Erto to come and meet with Quellian and offer a training to him uh, for their city. And the people who Alan has sent are members of the survivor's own crew. And Which you would think is a good thing until he says, like, you know, the false people. Yeah. Quellian has 
has a very interesting view of the survivor. Because, yeah, he talked about how the the crew, like, he essentially says that they're liars, that they're not, that they were, like, clout chasers, or they just said that they were part of his crew after he died. But that they weren't actually, that's, that seems to be what Quellian seems to think about. He's got a very radical view on the Church of the Survivor or what Kelsier's teachings were, that on one hand, you gotta think, man, Kelsier would never, this is not what we knew Kelsier to be. But on the other hand, we're like, yeah, we can kind of see Kelsier doing some of these things, but it's also, it's a religion being radicalized. And we've seen in the real world how that can do horrible things. That's kind of like a, I feel like that's largely hitting upon the big themes of the series is like what you do with it, what you believe in and being careful, the impact that you have. And like we see with Elland, like obviously we know he's trying to do the best for the final empire or for the central dominance, but it, it's kind of like. It's kind of like disheartening to hear him spoken of this way, you know? And like, I'm such a, I'm honestly a Kelsier fan, but like <laughs> hearing like this kind of radical thinking based off what he did, it's like, this is like the kind of stuff that makes people go back and think, oh, wait, he was actually a psychopath. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't to this degree, right? And we see that Erto is sort of the what if Ellen never came to power. What if they didn't meet with the nobles, reach an agreement? They did just fight and burn everything. He does kind and of have a similar Kelsier, mentality as Doxon. Kelsier did advocate for killing all the nobles. Yeah, but he, to jump to my chapter a little bit, he wasn't everybody who, like, Scott children of nobles. Yeah, he wasn't... He he wouldn't have gone to the same degree that Quellian is doing with also targeting the children, the this the the the, the children of Ska who have noble blood. Um, he wouldn't have gone to that degree, but he would have killed all of the nobles. And he was softening and towards yeah. the end, though, too. Kelsey That's was. what he wanted. Originally wanted Vin to do. That was her job originally, was to assassinate all the nobles in Luthadel. Yep. Okay, is that all you have for the chapter? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Did I uh, miss something? No, nah, it was just no. Nah, uh, checking my <laughs> notes. Uh, we've got spook hoping that by feeling everything physically it'll hide his emotional pain uh john i know you're keeping a small counter but spooks that he can feel the ground shake possibly just from normal people walking but also probably from an earthquake as well 
I was just going to ask if there was an earthquake that I missed. No, he, he <clears throat> mentioned that the earth has been shaking more often, mm-hmm. but I don't but if... think there was an actual earthquake in this. Yeah, it doesn't happen on scene. Yeah. This is the first mention we ever get of savantism. It is. Which is essentially um, when an alamancer abuses uh, the burning of a metal to the point where it begins to take physical changes in their body. And we can see it here with Spook, as obviously he's super sensitive to everything. Um, later we'll get into the more specific ways that that transforms you based on what metal you're, I guess, abusing. But it's an interesting parallel, I think, in the real world of when someone's like grieving, they might abuse a substance. That's basically what Spook is doing here. You know, he's justifying it, saying he wants to get stronger. But what's he really doing? He's just hurting himself. Yeah. Especially considering last, where the last time we saw him where we left off, he was running away from the fall of Luthadel or what they thought would be it. He knew that they were all going to die. They were all sacrificing themselves so they could escape. He justifies it in one of his chapters, either mine or Kay's, like he wasn't going to be able to help. And, but that didn't mean he wasn't doing it out of fear or self-preservation. Yeah, he did feels like he was a coward for running away and for not being there when clubs died. In a way, he's kind of sacrificing himself just like Kelsier would do, right? (laughs) That's probably the twisted way of looking at it. He definitely seems to idolize Kelsier in these chapters as well. Oh, yeah. It always has. Which creates this fun sort of religious dichotomy between Kelsier with Kelsier of Spook, who knew him and idolizes him, versus Quillion? Quillion. Quillion. Okay. Make sure I get the pronunciation right. Between Spook and Quillion, who we don't know Quillion's reasoning yet. But he's radicalizing Kelsier's teachings to a ridiculous degree. I just want to kind of call it out like savantism is a thing, you know, if in the Mistborn lore. <laughs> like, let's say if they made a Mistborn video game, you might have to fight some pewter savants or something. Just kind of that extended, like, idea of this whole world. Anything else for chapter 14? John, I believe you have 15. I do. The Ash. I don't think the people really understood how fortunate they were. During the thousand years before the collapse, they pushed it into rivers, piled it up outside of cities, and generally just left it be. They never understood that without the microbes and plants Rashik had developed to break down the ash particles, the land would quickly have been buried. Though, of course, that did happen eventually anyway. 
Um, so that's a little bit of foreshadowing and a little bit of what we're already starting to see. Uh, things are changing. Stuff's not working the way it used to, and the ash is no different. Um, just well, like the ash... I was gonna say, it's not necessarily that the ash isn't working the way it used to, it's that there's too much of it. Yeah, it's falling more quickly than it used to, and the microbes and plants can't keep up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess it's not the ash necessarily working differently, it's that the world has changed in a way that makes the ash a bigger problem. The mm -hmm. ecosystem has changed. Um, we, yeah. However you want to boil it down. Um, but kind of like the ash, the mists are coming during the day, and Vin feels that even the mists of the night are, are pulling away from her and they're hostile to her. She doesn't understand why they're different. Sezed thinks that they're a natural phenomenon, but there's debate between pretty much everybody she talks to about whether they're natural or somehow sentient or whatever. Um, then also thinks to spare us a thought for Ten Soon, um, but she hasn't been able to make contact with any of the Chondra for quite a while now. And she's walking through camp looking for Ellen and Ham, noticing how people seem to be confused about her role in the Empire. Um, and she kind of is too, in a way, because she doesn't really like the idea of being the uh, heir to the survivor or the empress. She's just Vin, and she's finally comfortable with that, and now everybody else is trying to like stick her into a different role or a different place in society. Um, she finds the men, and they're debating exposing the army to the mists, even though people will die from it. Cam doesn't like it, and eventually leaves. They talk about the role of the others a bit, but eventually Ellen says Finn needs to do something about the coloss she has. And she goes and finds Human, who is kind of watching the people of the camp. Um, she talks to him, still kind of reflexively scared of him, because he's big and giant and mean and angry. Because who would it be if they were smart? Right, exactly. Um, she asks him why he came to camp. He says he is human and should have a house like those, pointing at the tents. Vin tells him not to come to camp and that he has to stay with the other Coloss. They talk about humans don't attack people for making them uncomfortable, and human says uh, something really kind of profound for a Coloss. He says, no, you make us attack them. And, and Vin kind of just goes, okay. <laughs> um, but then he tells Vin that she is one of them, meaning a Coloss. Uh, he points out how the mists react to her like they do to them, and she asks the Coloss what he thinks, or she asks Human what he thinks of the mists. He says he hates them because it hates him. And he says that Vin can feel it, and Vin agrees. Like, she she feels that malevolent, ma maleficent anger. Malevolent. That's the word I was looking for. Malevolent. <clears throat> Um, but then she thinks about the time that she drew on the mists to fuel her allomancy, and she tries to convince herself that mists are natural, just weather patterns, but the mist spirit was real, and it stabbed Ellen and showed her how to heal him, and eventually she comes to the conclusion that the mists are my enemy. 
And that's kind of where the chapter ends. Nice. Going back to the beginning, very quickly, there was the comment on Saza was like the only one to really give a definitive answer on if the myths were supposed to be doing this. And Saza, although, though to our world, myths do not do this, he's like, yes, this is just what they do. This kind of shows how Sazed has lost his faith and he's no longer following the truth and belief. And now he's just like, yeah, fact. This is what happens. This is how it is. Well, and he likens it to an insect sting and how sometimes an insect sting will kill a person but not other people. Mm-hmm. Which he uses as evidence for it's just part of nature. I was kind of... Isn't it weird that Ellen has an yet has what inoculated his army yet for the mess well they've only been going through the central dominance and for the most part they've been able to spend the majority excuse me the majority of their time in daylight hours because the central dominance still has a lot of daylight hours Mm-hmm. It's just weird that they could have, like, if I were to go out and begin a war, or begin a long set of battles that were probably going to take who knows how long, like, the first thing I would do is, like, okay, get everything prepared. What are all the clothes we're going to need? Are we, and, like, are we all immune to viral threats? Like, I think... I find it weird that one of the first things they didn't do while they were still in the Citadel, safe behind walls, was like have all the soldiers stay out in the mist. I don't know. I think he's pretty broken up about having to do that in the first place. It doesn't surprise me that he would resist as long as possible on making them do that. True. You could tell. You could tell it was really bothering him, especially. In some of the the later chapters, he talks about it. Mm-hmm. And like he's talking with Doxon. Doxon. Doxon is a good CEO, a Ham. good general. Ham. Sorry. <laughs> Doxon's dead. Yeah, Doxon died. Remember that. Was this Ham the chapter? And... Um, Ham isn't a good general because he he can't force people to like fight or. Ham would be a good CEO. He's got to know. Person who's kind of like, oh, how are the kids? How's your wife? But he cannot send a large number of people he does not know to die. Yeah. I think that's a good distinction. I love him. You know what I miss? We haven't seen him expounding philosophically yet in this book. It's because Breeze isn't there. (laughs) He doesn't have anyone to annoy. Yeah, I miss our buddies. Breeze shacked up with Ariane, and we never saw him and Ham together again. Dang. Okay, later, later on, Ham does find someone to bother. <laughs> Ooh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Did human... Like... So I'm guessing Vin... Using... You know, zinc and brass told all the colas, make camp here, stay out of the camp. 
Elend did that. Elend has control that. of all of the Kolos except for human, because he is elementically raw power-wise stronger. Uh, and it'd be easier was... for him to reestablish control if he had to. I guess that explains why human doesn't listen. Because if he were under that, did he just break command and go to the human camp? But I guess if he's under Vin's control, she never gave that explicit order. Yeah, she didn't. She told him not to attack the humans. But I don't think she necessarily told him that he had to stay at the Colas. Sorry. At the Colas camp. It's actually a really good justification. Thank you, John. Staying in the area, not killing anything. Those were the two commands, mm -hmm. I suppose. So technically, he's staying in the area and not killing anything. Yeah. I liked how when we find human, he's basically just sitting there getting covered in ash, right? Mm -hmm. Which reminded Someone me... Someone stands up. Yeah. It, or, well, it reminded me of that chapter with Marsh, where it's like he's just sitting there getting caked in ash because anytime he tries to move or do anything, ruin starts to influence him. It's like this creepy parallel between like Ruin influencing Marsh and Vin having control over a human. That is a great parallel. That is a great connection. Anything else for chapter 15? Okie dokie. Chapter 16. That's you, Raider. Yeah, I know, it's just I can hear people arguing. Chapter <laughs> 16. They are called Alimantic Savants, men or women who flare their metals so long and so hard the constant influx of Alimantic power transforms their very physiology. In most cases, with most metals, the effects of this are very slight. Bronze burners, for instance, often become bronze savants without knowing it. Their range is expanded from in the metal so long. Becoming a pewter savant is dangerous, as it requires pushing the body so hard in a state where you cannot feel exhaustion or pain. Most accidentally kill themselves before the process is complete, and, in my opinion, a benefit isn't worth the effort. Tin savants, however, now they're something special. Endowed with senses beyond any, what any normal alimenter would need, or even want, they become slaves to what they touch, hear, see, smell, taste. Yet, the abnormal power of these senses gives them a distinct and interesting advantage. One could argue that, like an inquisitor who has been transformed by a hemologic spike, the alimentic savant is no even human. So, two things with this one. <laughs> Would two, since it actually physically changes a person, would two parents who have reached a savant level, so if you had Spook and another woman who was a tin savant and they birthed a child, would that child be physically changed to be a tin savant from birth? No. No. Okay. <laughs> because Think a of child... it like plastic surgery. If I get ah, a nose okay. job, my baby still gets my original nose. 
okay. unless of course it changes you on a genetic level in which case it would depend on when the kid was conceived and all of that but i don't think it goes that deep well i was thinking it was on a genetic level cause, but i guess we don't know that for sure also right if we you gotta think about it, the fact that just because parent a can burn tin and parent b can burn tin their kid might not isn't, necessarily isn't guaranteed to be able to be an alamancer yeah let alone a tin eye imagine tin eye being imagine yeah. burning tin while pregnant oh jeez just feeling I don't. every no. like, kick everything no. so no. intensely no no dear god that'd be so creepy that'd be horrible i feel like i ate a small person I feel like you're probably not supposed to burn the, metal when you're pregnant. On the bright side, if you are a tin savant when you're pregnant, when you give birth, you can just stop burning tin and then you won't feel it. Ah, <laughs> there you go. True. If you're a pewter, you could just you could burn it. Probably help with the birthing process. Or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe make it worse. I think it would be harder because you your body would be that much more like resistant you wouldn't be able to this is getting really graphic <laughs> no, yeah, can, no keep, can you can you keep going <laughs> <laughs> but i also have to wonder because we've established or we've talked about how tin heightens senses and it's not fully clear if it's just the physical sense is because we know that there are like are 20 Technically, there's sense of temperature, motion, time, all that. So is Spook really good at like telling it's now eleven thirteen. <laughs> it's it's like your physical senses. It's not like it's not your sense of time or your sense of spatial awareness. It's your physical senses. So it's eyesight, touch, smell, hearing, taste, like that. I just like the stuff. idea of a tin savant being like a perfect clock. <laughs> to that point though, like and a... I hate to be gross, okay, but like okay, I'm sorry that I just don't know how else to say this. Would like the sperm have like enhanced senses? Would it maybe make like the sperm more fertile? No. <laughs> Like this is a serious. I'm serious. Like I mean, okay. So the way I the way I would think about that. <laughs> Do we have to? Okay. The way I would think about you brought that this up, is, reader. Uh, those types of reproductive cells only contain half the genome. So no. Nor do they have the sensory structures built into them that you would need to have those senses. Okay, fair. I accept that. You just have like a weatherman in modern day, and he's like stepping outside. Ah, yes, seventy-three with a forty percent wind chill. <laughs> Wind's coming in from that direction. I, that okay. they could, because you could potentially get so sensitive that your inner ear would sense barometric pressure. Spook wakes up in darkness—a rare occurrence for him. He removes his blindfold and plugs, because he has wax in his ears now, before refilling his tin reserves. He notes how early it is for him, puts on some goggles and his blindfold, grabs his dueling cane, and steps into the burning sun's light. I think we often forget he's wearing goggles underneath the He's blindfold. glasses. 
Is that he describes? He says glasses, but they have no prescription, and they're just so his like eyes aren't up against the cloth. They're yeah. they're goggles. No, they're just they're... glasses with no prescription in them. They're just regular like glasses. sunglasses. Yeah. Is that yeah, why? but they're no just. Teeth. I know, but yeah. the whole purpose is so that his eyes are not pressed against the cloth. He's just yeah. putting it in between. That's what goggles are. I mean, that is the net effect. But goggles, like, suck to your face. Depends on what kind of goggles. Is that why this section is called uh, Cloth and Glass? Probably. That's very, like, right on, dude. (laughs) I I did not catch that. That's probably (laughs) it. (laughs) Yes, I know they're glasses, and that's how Spook says them, but think about it. They're goggles. I will agree to disagree. <laughs> Dern, a beggar like Spook, comments how much of a better life Quellian has made for people like them. As I'm he sorry. drums. K is a taco a sandwich? <laughs> We're not going this there. This is an irrelevant argument about <laughs> classifications <laughs> of things that. Are not <laughs> that aren't actually real. In other words, K says no. <laughs> Dern, okay. a beggar like Spook, comments how much of a better life Quellian has made for people like them as he drums on the ground. He points to the market and remarks that this would have never have happened under the Lord Ruler. Spook says that they just kill quietly in the shadows instead of in the public. They spot an escorted group of prisoners and they follow. Both pretend to be someone else, and they follow to a section of the city that has almost lost all of its buildings to fires. Spook notices the citizen and sees that he is wearing red, a previously forbidden color. He then sees Bel- that Beldre is there too. The citizen speaks, saying that they will make a place where the survivor would feel welcome. He says that the ten prisoners are nobles and shall be punished. And they are then pushed into a house, locked and barred inside, as it is set ablaze. Spook you looks know, away. I, sorry, I I don't want to interrupt you, but I just Go want to it. say this real quick. I think it's funny that Quillian thinks that this is someplace that the survivor would feel comfortable, considering the fact that he would be one of the people being persecuted. His parent is a noble. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with most of the crew. Yep. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Spook says they were not nobles, and not even Kelsier would have done something like this. But even so, he knows that he might have. Even s- did I say even so twice? Okay. The citizen is twisting his message of hope into hate. Dern says to count the skulls and disappears. Spook st- stays to watch Quellian. He follows the parade of people and stops next to Beldre. He asks if she approves of his murders. They shuffle around, and before she can tell it was him, he says, this is just like the Lord Ruler. Beldre identifies him and asks who he is. Quote, I am the man who will kill your brother, he says, by then grabbing her hand. Quote, he named me, called me friend. Quillian notices that Beldre is missing and sees her with Spook. He calls out to him, and Spook runs away. Security floods in and he whips out his dueling cane. He was no misborn, but he was still vain, very dangerous with his enhanced powers and giving him an almost ATM-like sense. 
as he feels air movements and ground vibrations. He takes out two soldiers before one destroys his king. Spook picks up a sword, in which I love that the swords here are more so rapiers, sort of more French, whilst in Luthadel is more of a European Excalibur style. And he moves to strike at the guard. It freezes in midair, pushed back by Alamancy. Spook looks up to see Quellian directly in front of him, hands on Beldre's shoulder for support. He was an Alamancer. Spook realizes he has no chance against a coin shot or a misborn and tries to flee. But the first soldier, who Spook hit him in the head twice, grabs his foot. He was a thug. Spook tries to run, but can't escape the two men. Desperately, he tries to use one as a shield, but his partner stabs through the man's heart and into Spook, a shot only another thug could have made. The point breaks off, and Spook falls unconscious. We had Spook for two chapters, and now he's gone. Anything. Well, Quellian clearly doesn't despise nobles as much as he says he does. Dernis Hoyd changed my mind. Okay, I'll get I into that. I was going to bring that up in spoiler section. <laughs> I was going to talk about that in spoiler section. Here's fine. I would agree, if not for the fact he's too much of a character in world. Also, Vin meets him later. Slight spoiler. In a whole different city. But also, yes, he feels like Hoyd, but I think the drumming is just for us to see something new coming out of Spook. And it's possible in the first draft this was Hoyd, but I think it doesn't make sense for it to be. I kind of came to the same conclusion. Like, you hear the drumming and that just instantly makes you think, okay... This is a that's kind of a weird detail, and then you know, uh, spoilers. But later on, we see this Hoyd guy with a flute or something, so he's clearly musical. So there's some connection there, but I don't think it's enough to draw a parallel, especially because the word hawk faced is never like that. Seems to be like the one tell for your Hoyd cameo. And Dern is said to be like a um, a thieving leader, and like a really popular one at that. Um. I don't think Hoyt would have put in the time to like build up a thieving crew, become that big of a thing. The copper mine does not say if he is or isn't. The only thing Brandon has really said is if he is not able yes, to nope. confirm if he is a world hopper or not. Yeah, Dern, I don't think is Hoyt. I'm fairly certain about that. So, especially because point does show up later on in the book yeah i gotta try out that pickup line spook used i'm the one who's gonna kill your brother (laughs) which is a very thing to whisper to her (laughs) it's just a great great way to start a conversation really doesn't matter who it is i don't know i thought that was a little intense like spook just seems like he's way in over his head here you know, he's he's obviously, like, the low man on the totem pole of the original crew. And even, even he, like, knows that. 
I just yeah. I remember reading this the first time and just being like, what what is what could he possibly accomplish here? And then like you know he gets taken out pretty quickly. So check check check. Okay, sorry. If it were against normal soldiers, Spook had a chance, and. The whole reason he starts to lose is because his dueling cane gets destroyed by a thug. I wonder if that was a normal person or somebody who wasn't an Alamancer. Uh, Would it have destroyed his dueling cane? I don't know, but there was a cool line of like saying how it was made out of really good wood. And yeah. that made like to me that called back to when he used to work with clubs and in, in clubs' shop. Aww. Like he would know There's like you. the type of wood it was and how strong it would be. Like that is nice. Boy, you just got this chapter really just makes you hate dwelling on Mel. Like he's a hypocrite of the highest order. I have to say that Brandon was most certainly reading uh nineteen eighty four and or Brave New World uh when writing these chapters. <laughs> yeah. Anything else for chapter 16? Well, considering 16, he's literally like a big brother of Spook's romantic interest. <laughs> oh, no. Instead of he's got Vin had to kill her father-in-law. Spook's now got to kill the brother-in-law. <laughs> it's okay. Vin also had to kill her brother-in-law. I thought that I said that. Did I say the wrong thing? I might have said the wrong no, thing. No, you said you said Oh, you're, you're right. I completely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> I completely Zane? forgot about Zane. I completely forgot about Zane. Wow. Dragon would be so upset with me right now. <laughs> she killed both her father-in-law and her brother-in-law. True. Anything else for chapter 16? Oh, so just really quick, I think that when Kelsier was doing stuff in Final Empire, one of the shadiest things he did was when he tried to convince the Ska that they would have allomantic powers by following him. Mm. And this is like a callback to that exact scene, right? Well, that's what the citizen is doing. He's He did that same thing. Like I just like that parallel. Yeah, froze the sword in midair mid-strike. Mm-hmm. Which we've remarked back then how weird it is just to have a sword be suddenly stopped midair and then kind of flung backwards. But like now it's like even kind of weirder because these are all people who like are raised to fear nobles and Alamancy, right? Nobody thought that was strange. Right. Apparently they're. Uh... I mean. They might have thought it was strange, but they're not going to say anything because they're too afraid of Quellian. True. Clearly, Quellian's not above using those attributes. Nope. Okay. 17. The subtlety displayed in the ash-eating microbes and enhanced plants shows that Rasha got better and better at using the power. It burned out in a matter of minutes. But to a god, minutes can pass like hours. During that time, Rashek began as an ignorant child who, shaved, who shoved a planet too close to the sun, grew into an adult who could create ash mounts to cool the air, then finally became a mature artisan who could develop plants and creatures for specific purposes. 
It also shows his mindset during his time of preservation's power. Under its influence, he was obviously in a protective mode. Instead of leveling the ash mounts and trying to push the planet back into place, he was reactive, working furiously to fix problems that he himself had caused. It's... Do we think that Rashek realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to push the planet back to where it needs to be? Or did he, like, think, this is the best this is going to get, I'm just going to deal with the consequences. And then he just kept going with that, I'm going to deal with the consequences mindset. Did you have a note in the Discord of, like, he had to, like, preserve stuff after a certain point? Like me? Yeah, I thought I thought I saw something in there. Like there's there's two kind of powers we know of. Like there's preservation and ruin. Seem it seemed like he started to ruin things and then he had to like preserve those. Like Yeah. I wasn't wanting to bring an intent in the spoiler free part, oh, but we can skip we that. can see that Rashek is kind of using preservation more so than ruin. Like, he had the brief little, I'm going to shove the plant that's going to get rid of the mess. And then everything after that was, okay, got to deal with that, got to deal with that. And he's preserving what he kept. And I think also an issue for, like, maybe why he didn't push, put, try to put the planet back was that he didn't know where to put it. He didn't know how to put it back where it needed to go. And... The only way that he could learn about it was to use the power, but the more he used it, the less power he had. Mm. So, the less big things that he can do. So, probably by the time that he was able, he knew how to push the planet back into place, he didn't have enough power to do it. So, if you go in there knowing what you're trying to accomplish, like... That's what, ah, uh, yeah, that's so smart. He just, like, literally couldn't have put it back together after a certain point because he was running out of power. Mm-hmm. Then do we so think... Was... Sorry. Oh, you're good. So he was putting these... He was doing these things, like, putting the ash mounts. He's like, okay, can't put the planet back, so I gotta somehow make the... the, the planet cooler. Ash mounts. Okay, so they've got ash in the sky. Okay, now, like, ash is gonna start piling up. What do I do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so how well of a job do we think Rashek would have done if he was allowed to ascend again? Because that was the whole thing. He was waiting for the well to refill. And I'm guessing over the last a thousand years, he's studied and he's planned for that time. I think he would have done it. It's, it's kind of hard to say, because by the time that Rashik had died, he was, had been influenced heavily by Ruin. So, it becomes a question of how much of Ruin's influence would there be when he is trying to put things back together. I think he would be able to push the planet back. I think he would miss it, either a little low, a little high. I don't think he would get the exact spot he wants. But this is Russia. He would also want to keep all of his power and empire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Elend, riding atop a pure white horse, leads the way as his soldiers prepare to march into the mist. Even though they were scared, his men stood their ground. Elend riots their bravery and says they must face this challenge or else it'll be forced upon them by their enemies. Kelsier is the lord of the mist. It's his will that determines who shall live. Demu compliments his speech, but says he doesn't need to feign faith anymore. His shibboleth has earned the Church of the Survivors' trust long ago. Ellen says he gave his word and he shall keep it. Besides, quote, having faith in Kelsier is better than the alternatives. Demu talks about how Kelsier became more than a man. He speaks of the different Kelsiers and that each one gained more and more presentation of divinity. Then the mists come and the soldiers begin to scream. Some fall to the ground and rhythm in pain, others step back in fear. Ellen prepares to take the lead and calls for Demu to help. But when he looks back, Ellen sees that Demu is no longer on his horse. No, his friend had fallen through the mist into ash, twisting into ash, twisting in pain. We lost Spook and Demu in two chapters. I know that was hard hitting. <laughs> I find it really interesting that Demu supposedly hasn't been inoculated against the mist. That kind of doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, Especially but... seeing as we've seen him out in the mist before in previous books, before they started killing people. So that implies that possibly something new is in the mists. Yes. That there were normal mists, and now there's this magical mist that's killing people. But like, Murder mists. Within, it kind of, but what I'm saying is that like, it kind of surprised me that within the past year... Which is Demu what I was saying. Demu hasn't gone out in the mists at all. Well, that's what I was saying. Had none of the army has been a Demu, nobody has. Well, they didn't say none of the army. Some of the army has been, but the I think it was the majority of the army hadn't. So, like in this whole scene, you just have like one fiftieth of them just like sitting in tents, drinking. Like you guys have fun. I was a I was knocked out for two weeks. You're gonna love it. So. Kind of feels like COVID that way. Yeah. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> A little bit. It's never. Too it does, soon. does feel like that though? <laughs> I do agree that it's weird that Demu of all people, who is like honorary crew member status, <clears throat> has not. And like, is chief of the Church of the Lord of the Mists. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't know if I ever picked up on that in previous read-throughs, but it yeah, that's a it's a good question. Well, I mean, I think that a big theme of this book in particular is like testing faith, right? So it's totally totally fitting. It's like it's kind of awesome actually. <laughs> Just the, maybe, the irony of like the beginning of this chapter to how it ends, like it's it's sick. Does it imply the fact that Demu wasn't a hundred percent sure that he was still scared of the mist, 
And now that he had a literal army at his back looking at him to stand with them, that's when he does an act of faith. Demu's preaching the Church of the Survivor's teachings. He is the head, he is the Pope of the Survivor. But he has not, he's been scared as well. It's only now that he has to. It's also a reflection on Ellen of like, oh yeah, you're using these teachings and this word to convince people to go out into the mists and then your friend like is getting sick from it. You know, it's like, just shows him like, hey, if you don't actually believe this stuff, maybe you shouldn't be using it as rhetoric. In which I kind of don't like Ellen doing that. I don't, because it's weird because Ellen is in the faith and he seems to start to believe this chapter or realize a few things about the church's doctrine that do kind of make things weird about Kelsier's past. Like Kelsier should have snapped long before he did when Mare died. But like Ellen did not believe it. He joined it purely for political reasons. And he seems, he doesn't believe the words that he says almost. And I feel like that's kind of, to me, that would be very rude. I'm not an extremely religious person, but I still have my faith. And if I had somebody that was using the words and preaching it, but like saying, nah, I don't actually believe it, I would find that a little bit rude. Yeah, certainly did come off as disingenuous to me as well. It kind of fits with his arc, though. Like, a, I think his last line in Well of Ascension was, we're going to do what the survivor taught us to survive. To me, this is kind yeah. of like his, his like um, arc has been coming around to like kind of shadow Kelsier a little bit, and and that's basically what Kelsier did too. Is he used his own religious status? Like, obviously, did Kelsier really think he was a god? You know. Also, I do want to say that I think Ellen. He believes in, like, the the message that the Church of the Survivor wants to portray and talks about. Does he? But he doesn't believe that Kelsier is a god. He doesn't believe in that part of it. But he does believe in the, like, the... Like we need to have the dogma. We need to have hope. We need to survive. We need to keep going. Like that part of it, I think Ellen believes in more so than the like. Ellen believes in that. Sorry, Ellen seems to believe in. Yeah, we need to have hope. We need to be able to survive. But he doesn't believe in the church is teaching it. It's like the same argument of when people say oh, you don't believe that God is going to punish them? What stops you from being a horrible person? You could, why don't, thou shall not kill, and if you don't believe that, then why don't you just kill? Like, just because it's a church thing doesn't mean those morals or those rules don't apply to normal life. Ellen can believe, like, we need to have hope, we need to survive, but those seem to be basic things as a person you you have that I don't know it's very weird 
I'm saying is that he believes in that in relation to, like, the Church of the Survivor. Like, he likes that, that doctrine and promotes that within himself and his army, even if he doesn't necessarily believe that Kelsier is a god, he's still like, we need to think about what the survivor has taught us. Yeah. Like, he believes that Kelsier was a person, and a person who had good ideas, and a good belief system that they, they should follow. Does he believe that that person was a god? No. But does he believe that they should follow what he was saying? I think yes. But that would, to me, that would kind of be like St. Matthew or St. Peter or one of the 12 apostles being like, yeah, I knew Jesus. He was a cool guy. And I 100% agree that, yeah, we should forgive and we should love and all of that. But I don't think he really came back. It's just, it's really hard to get into this. Because there is so much real-world ramifications, and I don't want it to make it seem like I'm going to Bible-bash my way through this. Um, to kind of bring it back to an earlier reference that was made, like uh, I recently read 1984, and there's this talk on, about like doublespeak. So it's kind of like they live in the society where you know it's so critical to not show that you're dissenting against the regime that people have kind of adopted this way of thinking and speaking where they actually believe the stuff that they don't believe in. It's like there's a version of them that believes it because that's the only way they can really get through the day and not like trip up. I think that's almost what he's doing here. Like he's got his doubts, but then again, Kelsier did orchestrate the killing of his previous deity. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and, take the minority opinion, because it's one I actually hold, that Demu is a little bit hypocritical in this. Ellen swore his loyalty, his allegiance, his political backing to the Church of the Survivor. There is no reason that he should not be able to invoke it as needed, so long as he is within the scriptures or, or doctrine or dogma or whatever of that organization. That's just part and parcel of how it works. It's the politics. It's the reality of it. And for him to go, hey, that's not fair. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> that's just not right. I, mm, no, it, it's, it smacks of that's not what I think this should be. So you're not allowed to do it. And that that is very true of my experience with organized religion in general. So, you know, there's my two bits. I would. I. There are things about that I agree with and things about that I disagree. Uh, yes, there are people who use religions for purely political gains. And yes, Demu recognizes that that is all Ellen did, is he used it purely to get a vote to, with the council. But Demu doesn't tell Ellen, hey, what you're doing is wrong, I need you to stop. Stop using... Kelsier's name in vain. Well, he does. Yeah, he does. He does that one. Yeah, he does. He, he kind of does. Like, does. <laughs> he does on that one. He does on that one. But he doesn't like say, "Don't stop preaching." It's more so we've recognized that you 
did do all this purely for political. And I'm asking you as a friend, can you please not do that? I'm not coming to you as the Pope of the Survivor. I'm coming to you as your friend. But then, like, to that my point, rude. Ellen's response is, I don't know what I believe, Demu. Like, he kind of doesn't know what he believes. So, Which would be kind of, like, also rude, considering you're using <laughs> the religion. Okay, but I think we should move on to chapter 18. Seven. Or... It was 18, yeah. Can, yeah. we, can we give an introduction Before to our Before we do, here? brief awesome. thank you to Dragon for returning to us after so long. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, Woo. Dragon Returns Woo. ending. Uh, but we're, who had 18? That was me. Ah. Yeah. Um, before we get away from it, because it's my last chance to say it, the line and the ash continue to fall is a badass way to end that chapter. Heck yes. <laughs> True. <clears throat> okay, chapter 18. Rashik didn't solve all the world's problems. In fact, with each thing he did fix, he created new issues. However, he was clever enough that every subsequent problem was smaller than the one before it. So instead of plants that died from the disordered sun and ashy ground, we got plants that didn't provide quite enough nutrition. He did save the world, True. Near destruction was his fault in the first place, but he did an admirable job, all things considered. At least, he didn't release ruin as, onto the land as we did. I guess that's a point for Rashek. <laughs> or two points. He did, you know, kind of fix his mess, kind of, and he also didn't release the group. There's more than we can say. <laughs> so, this is a sazed point of view. Starts out, Sazen and Breeze released the last horse that they were traveling with as it has become too malnourished to ride. Um, Sazed denies riding in the parasol with Breeze because he's still that good old simple Sazed we know. <laughs> Feels awkward accepting special treatment. Uh, he's also still grieving and paralyzed by his doubts about the future and his doubts about his religions. Uh, he feel like it's he feels like it's meant to aid people through the same dark times he's going through, and for that fact, he continues to recommit himself to searching for contradictions. <clears throat> As they arrive back in the central dominance, we see many scow working tirelessly to cultivate plants amid the piles of ash and lingering mist. Through a valiant effort. Oh, sorry. Though a valiant effort, it is clear that over time the mists and ash will eventually win. Sazed specifically notes that the skas seem exactly the same as they did when the Lord Ruler was in charge. A time later, he walks with Gorodel, a soldier who helped Ellen to rescue Vind from the Critic Shah after she converted him to the Ska Rebellion with her I Know You speech. Helps being heavily in quotation marks there. <laughs> right. Gorodon notes how he came from a family of farmers, and when he sees the sky working, he notices they stand up straighter and care about their work, because they're doing it not out of fear of the taskmaster, but to preserve the lives of their families. Sazed seems not to pick up on the difference. He eventually tells Gorodel he must leave the army for a time without saying where he's going or why. Uh, do we have anything for this section? The answer Sazed wants is right there. The answer for faith is right there. It's not what we do, it's why we do it. Yes, the, the Ska are doing the exact same things 
but now they're doing it for themselves. The church of the survivor is preaching hope and all that. And granted there was the religion of the Lord ruler, but now they have their own religion. They do this for them now. And the faith is not for one person to be analytical of, of why should it affect? Why is it the reason for all of this? But it gives a perspective on what it is. Oh, that's awesome. I did notice that. It's like, if Sazed, you know, if Sazed wasn't in this grieving state, he might see the same thing that Gorodel does, but he's just so caught up in his own pain. So we fast forward several days, and we see Sazed arriving at the former pits of Hathsin, now home to terrorist refugees. <laughs> Kelsey ruined new, the pits. Um, new fast travel location. Yeah. <laughs> pits, pits. Okay, so Kelsey ruined the pits' ability to spawn ATM and thus helped preserve the terrorist people by providing them a vacant locale with easily farmable crops. The terrorists, it seems, now live easy lives. I see what you did there. I didn't do anything. <laughs> but it's like, it's this idea of like, um, he's like so uncomfortable with, you know, because he was raised to be a servant. He's uncomfortable to ride in the carriage with breeds. And then he sees like all the terrorist people living easy lives. And he's like, there's something strange about that. I, th I feel like it does kind of go along with the theme of like, he's refusing to see things as being better in any way. Mm-hmm. Because that would mean that he would have to admit that Tindwell's death was part of their plan. Like, if he, if he admits that, like, all this good stuff came out of it, then he would have to admit that Tindwell's death was also a good thing in, like, a long way. <coughs> yeah, I would totally agree with that. Uh, but that's totally the end of the chapter. Tubular. Anybody have anything else for 18? No, that one's pretty concise. Yeah. It is. And I do, but at the same time, he does admit, like, that they definitely do have an easier life, right? And it's, so it's not like, it's not a total, like, I don't see that there's a change. I don't see that there's, like, the benefit. It's definitely like, oh, yeah, like, lives for sure are easier. Like, it is, it's strange that it is, but it is, like, he he does at least recognize that aspect. Oh yeah, he calls which, it out. I mean, which, you, which you did mention, so he see he sees an amount of progress, even if he doesn't want to admit that he's like a part of it or that he like like played a played any sort of role. You know, even as they come to him, it's like be our king and our ruler, and he's like, no, the Lord Ruler was one of us. Like, mm -mm. they call him Your Majesty. Yeah, they're like, Your Majesty, Your Majesty. And he's like, Don't ever call me that. And he's like, <laughs> like, We want you to be our king. And he's like, We've already had someone who was one of us, that lad. And uh, uh, it's definitely not going to be. He's super uncomfortable with that. It's also funny that like the terrorist people basically rejected him when he decided to rebel, right? 
And mm-hmm. now they're like, you're they nice, dude. Anything. It's, it's, he's totally rejected, but he's rejected by the leadership. Now the leadership is gone. All, so now he's, he's, so he's accepted by the common people. It's like mm-hmm. interesting because it's like the leadership was, you're a terrible person because <laughs> how, how outrageous could you be, you know? And, Overthrowing the Lord Ruler? Gasp. <laughs> <laughs> right. Acting on your own? What? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, which is funny because I don't think, like, none of the common people knew or seemed to particularly care. And I don't know, you never, like, see him before, but there's never any hint of, like, oh, my people hate me. It's, it's always, like, the Synod. The Synod don't like me. The Synod think I'm terrible. The Synod thinks I'm a rebellion. So. Very much the same situation. I don't think they ever were like, oh yeah, the Senate's like walking around being like, who's this awful guy? And then they're like, man, we're left with this terrible dude who just doesn't listen. They're just like, all they know is, you're a member of the Senate, please help me. (laughs) You're the last one, complete. Anything else for this set of chapters? You say Zidwan Kenobi, you're our only home. <laughs> I'm dying to get into that spoiler Vader, section. But yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> you are all that's left of their sad religion. Is this some place safe? Sazed killed younglings. No, that seems to be pretty, pretty tidied up. Okay. Well, next time we're going to be covering chapters uh, 19 through 22, 23. Uh, I believe a couple of us already have uh, dibs. I'm going to quickly check that real quick. Yep, 19 and 22 have been called by John. I've claimed 23. Case claimed 20. Swiggity, that leaves you with 21. Yep. Um, but it is time to head into the spoiler realm. So if you have not finished this book, the entire series, or potentially the entire Cosmere, then we recommend that you stop here, because it is likely that we will talk about everything and anything. But if you are up to date, feel free to stick around, because it is likely we will bring up details you may have missed or plot threads that are still yet to come. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a like, star, heart, or whatever it is on this podcast. Don't be afraid to comment your own thoughts and predictions. We would love to hear from you. But if this is where we must part, then my name is Raider, and I've been joined by Swiggity Swoop. Thanks for watching or listening. Dragon? Good to be back. Hopefully you'll see me again. John? I don't know what to say here. He's back. And Kay? <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs> and don't forget, there's always another connection. Welcome back. We are now in the spoiler realm. Some things are going to get crazy.
Okay, I have I have one thing that I want to say about chapter 14. We're starting at the beginning. It's okay. Okay. But I thought of this earlier, and I don't want to forget it. That's why I want to say it now. Um, as I was re-listening to this chapter, is it Beldra gets... We know that Beldra is in shot. Uh, uh, can you say that again? Beldra is... Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so Beldra is a brain shot. And the reason that, that uh, Quellian keeps her next to him is she is his bodyguard. That is her job. She is his bodyguard um, to help protect him. And she's not being exiled from the meeting. She's sent there as another lookout, their line of defense to make sure that people aren't coming in on the meeting why she's sitting inside I wasn't thinking she was a lookout I thought that it was maybe Quellian still having a bit of like this is his compromise yes I'm allowing it but I'm still not going to allow them to be in the government or in my secret meetings like you're my sister but you're still an alamancer you're still nobly yeah, but 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 he could have sent he could send her to her dead. True. Instead, he sends her outside. True. Why would he send her outside every time? Point. Good point. Uh, Again, a different take. Oh. <laughs> I love that from Kay. <laughs> Can somebody remind me, why is it that the water has disappeared? I remember that being a huge thing in it's, the climax. It's it's in the cavern. Yeah, uh, so the it, it siphoned out into the Lord Ruler's cavern stash. Ah, uh, yeah. No, he, remember. like, blocks it part. He, like, blocks it up so it goes down. Mm -hmm. uh, 14, that was when I was, like, realized that I was, like, when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, see what's going on, see what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and just like the introduction to Spook, I love Savant in Spook so much. <laughs> just Savant Tin, honestly. A Tin Savant. It's like that speaks to me on so many levels. It's kind of gets into just like this. I already love Brandon's magic, but it's just like almost like it's just like this weird, like awesome extra, like. He almost sort of kind of has like this ATM aspect about him, right? When he's like, he hears, right? And like when he, um, you know, you'll see later, right? When you see, you see him later on, like he like goes to fight the guards. He's trying to escape after like talking to Beldra. It's like, hears like their heart speed, like their heart, like start pumping faster. And like, he feels like their foot like hit the ground and shift. And makes me think of like a weird mix between like, Almost Atium and like Toph from Avatar. <laughs> like, boom, foot down. Okay, feel the shock. Okay, they're breathing. Swinging of the sword. Okay, I know exactly what height it is. I can like hear their muscles like tensing. Anyway, it's Daredevil. Oh, I love, <laughs> mm, I love Tin Savant. There's just something cool about it. And it just makes me like, and I know he says like, oh, Savant, you know. Later on, like, says it's like, oh, savantism is like, there's not much to be noticed besides tin. I don't know. I've like thought through, like, and technically, we actually get 
um, introduced to savants previous in the book one. Kelsier is a steel and iron savant. He doesn't burn it enough. Do you know? Okay, who who else can guess? Marsh. Marsh. Or no, no, it's clubs. It's clubs. Breeze. So it's no, it's not. Technically, they don't actually ever talk about the main characters. It's (laughs) none of the main characters. It's the people in the ministry who sit there inside of the control stations at literally 12 hours a day soothe people and they are better than breeze who also probably has a minor savantism because he's always burning it and he's always like playing with people's emotions but they're better than breeze so they literally every waking moment of every day are burning they're flaring their powers and they're affecting people I could have sworn there was a wob about Kelsier being oh. savant level with steel and iron. He's just no, good. He's just really, really good. That... That's what he practiced in. But to get savant, savantism is literally having burned it to a point where you've stretched your physical body um, to, to the aspect. And he turns it off. The point is you see him not burning, t- not burning steel and, yeah. and iron. So that naturally leads you to know he just has never burned it enough to stretch and force his his spirit and his body to be different and uh raider i think you're thinking of the word of brandon that was about wax um originally being his intention for wax for him to originally be a um, steel bond but then like change that later on because, yeah, I remember that one. I just could have sworn there was something about Kelsier. Okay. I can, not... I can look it up just to see. Like, I'll go. There's a bit of a fan theory that uh, people think that uh, Gemmel might have been a savant. Yeah, maybe. Because he put such a focus on that with Kelsier's training and he was so good at it. This is why earlier when I was talking about savants, I said if there was a Mistborn video game, you might have to fight a pewter savant because it's like we never <laughs> see them. Like, it's mentioned. Spook is one. But it's like always this. It's like this weird thing that you just know can happen. It's not really like well, right? And you don't really think, see it. Yeah, I think Miles Hundred Lives Era Two also Savan. Who would kind okay, of That's not good enough for me. There's like, never an indication know. that like, It should be clear. Like I want somebody with like massive arms and like demented. Like I want something real. You know, I want like this is a savant. This is what it does, and this is like. You know, I, I hate all this, like, ooh, technically, Wax was savant on, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's the same thing with Hoyd yeah. being in, being the terrorist leader of Well of Ascension. It's like, no. Show That's it. lame. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I maintain that Dern is still Hoyd. I, okay, well, let's go on to chapter 15. <laughs> Nobody takes me seriously here. <laughs> no, we all had the same thoughts. I definitely thought the same thing. I thought it, but we'll get to that when we get to 17. We can argue it there. On the uh, copper mine, ferrochemical savant, since ferrochemy doesn't draw from an external power, it is extremely, is very difficult to be a savant. So um, in, if the ferrochemist is able to compound and draw power from an outside source, they could become one. So there's a chance that Miles... Was oh, if he just like always, always is burning? 
Which I think he was. Yeah. Uh, but chapter 15, that's the one where you've got uh, Vin questioning the miss. Uh, Ellen decides to inoculate the army. And the quick talk with human about the mists don't like us, and you are one of us. Yeah. Um, and I think that human is more perceptive than people give him credit for, because not only is Vin like him because the mists don't like her, but she is like the Coloss because the mists don't like her for the same reason. Mm-hmm. She he is a hemallergical, not construct, but she is she's a hemallergist, I guess. And so are the coloss because she's spiked, right? Yep. That gosh darn earring. So okay, I'm curious, and I know, John, since you're always, you know, avid about human. <laughs> Dragon uh, hasn't been on for so long. Something he remembers. <laughs> I mean, John wants to be human, and Reader wants to be uh, Ellen. I mean, that's all I gotta keep remembering. You know, essentially. <laughs> I even love the part now. What are your thoughts and theories around why human, in particular, is more coherent than all of the other coloss, or is human not actually more coherent, but is only only hear human being more coherent than the other Coloss, simply because human gets more screen time. And are all the Coloss because of XYZ, which you know, the degeneration of the of the um of the spikes, like getting less effective and so therefore they're being less coloss and they're being more human. Are all coloss the same or is human in particular different? And then if he is different, why is he different than any others? So my take on it is that human is not necessarily different from the other Coloss, uh, except that he is the only Coloss being controlled by Vin, whom we have already established has a sort of willingness to connect to people that others don't. You know, we saw that with Tensoon, and... Um, because she is singularly engaging with him, we see his now more available personality start to come out a little bit. Um, because exactly like you said, with the Lord Ruler being gone, the Coloss aren't directly under someone's constant control. And they have that little bit more freedom because Vin and Ellen don't have as much experience controlling the hemological constructs. So it's it's like a combination of factors, but it primarily, I think, is because we have an opportunity to see one-on-one. Everybody else is too afraid of Coloss to stay anywhere near them long enough for them to develop a personality. So you think if she had a, if she had have picked any other Coloss, not human, same effect essentially could have happened. Not guaranteed, but it could have happened with another they, Coloss. That other Coloss, would, we'd see their personality... We might not see one that is as clever as human, but we would see the human qualities of them manifest. Hence why I say could be, not every single one would be, right. but other ones could be are yeah. similar, like more cleverness from when they were human, for when they were actually human and not called human. Okay. Right. I'm going to agree with John. Minutes. I think it's purely because he gets more screen time. 
<laughs> so you could you could rotate human with other with other coloss and and yeah. potentially have a similar effect. I think essentially is what you're saying. Yeah. Weird. Cool. Right. I was just I was just kind of curious. It just kind of was a thought that popped into my head. Um, one thing I I think I want to say, in my correction, just like as far as you're talking, um, I don't know if it's necessarily because they're less experienced at controlling because. Lord Ruler, though he could control all of his Coloss, and he just kind of like pushed them off to the back of his mind. Um, there's also an it's so Ed talks about like the reason why they became more human is not because they're less practiced at controlling their constructs, but it's because the actual bikes are degenerating as they are being reused from body to body, and so they actually are they're not being recharged. Like, oh yeah, they're like kind of being like recharged or being reused over and over again. It's like, no, they're actually getting because every time like point is it's end negative there's a degeneration effect every time it's pulled out of one person and put into another it doesn't like regain another right. piece or it's because of the degeneration they're actually becoming less and less off and more and more human which is where they how they're how you have and this i can't on the same platform as you john and, and um raider is as see other Coloss being like, we will take our village, we want, like, we will live here, we want your clothes, and you see them fighting over clothes, because they know they should be in clothes, because they never did that before, because they were straight fresh spikes going into Coloss, rather than mm -hmm. kind of like this reuse, which we've seen. And now they've had two years of their spikes getting reused. Right, and that's and definitely a like factor. Spikes. But given uh, the size of human in particular, how he's bigger than most, but not necessarily the biggest, it's generally safe to assume that his spike might have originated prior to the fall of the Lord Ruler. And so we can't really necessarily oh, no. say that's the case. No. Oh, we know that. No one we know creating more spikes. The point is, well, is okay, right. But I mean, they might be original to human. Not that they, you know, human I... was spiked after the death of the Lord Ruler. We don't know that. We don't I have a way to know that. I would argue against that, John, um, based on the fact of how quickly we've seen the Coloss grow. Like, they're mentioned that they grow very quickly. Yeah, and... their lifespan, I'm pretty sure, is inside of, in the counting of months, not the counting of years. I so, was under the impression the it was in the decade range, but I could be wrong. We do have, we do have backstory for human. We do have that he was a person named Versad. And he was a charismatic and intelligent Ska, and he was a rebel, and that the Lord Ruler sent a Coloss army against him and his men with the aid of the Inquisitor, who set an ambush as well as betraying the rebels. For their crimes, Versad's men were slaughtered, and he was transformed into a Coloss. As a Coloss human retains much of his intelligence and determination, uh, with a decent sense of logic and working observational skills. I'll look into Coloss to see if it has anything around, like, lifespan. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm yeah. finding... Uh, so, according to says it's Copper Mines, 20 years or less. Uh, well of Ascension, Chapter 19. Nice. Straight from the book. Well, of Ascension, chapter 19. So, let's move uh, on. And, and that's a <laughs> post I just found on, on a, a forum somewhere. So, it, you know. But I feel like we could argue Coloss all day. 
Especially it could be that his spiking predated the fall of TLR. Oh, there's there's that possibility. That's just it doesn't make sense to me because like they talk it like it's very specifically um says it talks about like the reason they're getting more intelligent is because of the deterioration of their spikes and so they're like of them be getting reused. So, so why so that's why I just assumed that. But I mean I I guess apparently I could be wrong as far as lifespan. Yeah, I we just don't have enough information to know for sure is what I'm saying. You know, it it could very well be he's a fourth generation coloss after that. We, you know, they've certainly done enough fighting between Jasties and being wild and being held by Inquisitors and all of that. You know. Uh, let's move on to chapter seven, 16. Let's move on to chapter sixteen. So that is the secondary spook chapter where he does not die at the end. He gets spiked. He does get spiked. Pewter with a steel spike. Mm-hmm. Apparently. That's why I brought up the sword. Is because if you envision a sword sticking into a person and breaking off, you envision the giant flat thing. <laughs> but no, they specifically mention like these are more thin foils. Oh, nice. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it definitely wouldn't be a foil. It would be a, at least a rapier. Well, that's... But still a narrow-bladed sword. Yes. I was making the same. I thought they were synonymous. No, they're not. Uh, a foil is like what you would use in a, a fencing duel, the very flexible, whippy swords. Uh, whereas a rapier is actually a blade. More so than just a little metal rod. Okay. <laughs> it's... I watch way too much Shadowversity. <laughs> John, I hear what you're saying about Dern. Do not think he is Hoyt. I agree, he is very Hoyt-like. He's got the musical thing, and he's very whimsical. He lies about who he is, but he I think... He knows too much. He smells of wine and soap, even though he looks like a bum. He's clearly in disguise. Hoyt has a tendency to be where he needs to be without knowing why. But Hoyt is a. Smells like that is because he's a- he's actually the lord of the whole of like the underworld. Like he's like he's like the the crime boss syndicate. Yeah, and we know that Hoyt is in Phadrix. Phadrix, yeah. Yes. Ha! I got one of them right. Um, we see Hoyt travel from place to place very quickly in several other works. Him being in a different place at a different time does not mean that he's too far away from here to also be there at that time. Have we seen him go from place to place really quickly, though? Uh, We see him leave and reappear in Stormlight Archive several times. Yeah, but typically he's gone for a while, right? We don't really have concrete knowledge of where he goes and and what he's doing, uh, but... I think that his absence and presence in different places is, well, certainly not enough on its own, still a strong piece of evidence that he could be both here and later in Fadrex. And supposedly, if he was in the terrorist people's camp when they were moving from um, Tathangwin down to Luthadel, 
he could easily have left there as well to be here. Like he can, he he's all over the place. We know he has illusion, illusory powers, you know. But I don't think he would have spent the time to establish, arguably, a whole nother secret society of thieves for that long. Like Hoyd usually shows up, does what he's needed to do, and skips town. Yeah, Hoyt is Especially usually... in dangerous Hoyt... places like this. Hoyt is usually like a one-man show. He doesn't usually work with other people. Except in Elantris when he shows up as a weapons merchant. Yeah, but like, that could easily be like, okay, I bought the weapons, I'll sell them. But this is, he's the leader of a whole underground network of thieves. And as a Sky informant, <laughs> Excuse me. Well, yeah, but a, that could easily know. just be him. Sorry, there, there is that possibility. Honestly, my uh, technically, it's never talked about. During a, on the copper mine, it doesn't say anything about him being Hoyd. And usually, if you have if you have it, it'll reference it. There is a chance that it is, but because I haven't, there's some things on Hoyd's age that I haven't that I've read that I haven't noticed, like doesn't talk about every single identity I don't think of his, so and I think there's a chance and, you know, maybe John, you should submit that to one of his spoiler AMAs. There you go. Like, settle the debate once and for all. Oh, <laughs> it, it seems on this podcast you are alone in your in your theory. Um, it, and that's fine. I'm used to it. <laughs> I, I agreed with it. It sounds... I will, I will give you... There is... doesn't... There's not it's not a hundred percent ruled out. But yeah, I was right there with you. Like just thinking not as mentioned it. as a Hoyt alternative personality, probably not. Usually, I mean, it seems like whenever Hoyd comes up, Brandon's pretty explicit that it's Hoyd, which is why we didn't like that well of Ascension word of Brandon because it was like where <laughs> that like his his weird retcon because it's like dude you didn't write it as hoyd you wrote it as some random dude and then you wrote it back in like when he when he does write this is hoyd it's like he's very specific about how he creates a hoyd undeniably oh. hoyd-esque i would i would concede that i felt the exact uh, and he definitely way. carries that there's def- there's other people throughout the cosmere that gives you like that really like hoyd vibe i, I think it's just because it really embodies the whole like just like wickedly smart but like likes playing um and playing tricks and I think it'd be cool. about things. So once you get anyone that does that, we all have been trained to go, wait, is that Hoyd? <laughs> that's very true. I think it'd be cool if he was like um, maybe he had some kind of breath and that's why he has like perfect rhythm. Maybe he's but, a like we're just going off the fact that Spook says perfect rhythm. And I think that whole thing was just to show Spook feeling the drum beats hit the ground, go to his feet, come up his body, like Toph. <laughs> I mean, in all likelihood, yeah, that probably is. But in my head, I think it's fun to think that that's, that's Hoyd. And that was the whole like idea behind Hoyd to begin with. So I'm going with it. There are points for, <laughs> and there are some points against. And I feel like this is definitely one you can choose. Do you have it? 
Drop in the comments. Do you think Dern <laughs> is yes. Floyd? We'll take a poll. Pick a or side, you everybody. Prove John wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. Everybody's gonna vote against me just to see me go. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get engagement out of our listeners. Come on, John. Take a strike. For, take an arrow for the team. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> <laughs> my only other spoilery note was like Kay said Beldre is pushing against Luke's sword anything else for 16 okay chapter 17 this is the inoculation chapter where Ellen Everybody gets put into the mist. Yeah, I would just like to reiterate that I think it's weird that Dachshund hadn't been inoculated yet, but Demu. I understand. Demu, thank you. My bad. Demu hadn't been inoculated yet from the mists, but I also understand why Sanderson did that, is because he wanted Demu to be part of the ATM misting group but it's a slight stretch but I think in the long run rule of cool mm -hmm. yeah it is a little bit weird though because it's like he was out walking in the mist like every single night during like well of ascension yeah. so you're like how have you <laughs> and I guess that means that in the mist don't happen immediately and maybe <sighs> but they but no, it it's very happen. clear when, once they turn hostile and maybe the thing is once the mist turned hostile they no longer held their meetings in the mists for their that's like to me that seems like that was kind of like a mark of like our Kelsier rallies and yes. you know he was the lord of the mists you, I have a and theory. so you hold your rallies in the mist. Maybe it was, oh, now they're like starting to attack us. Like, I guess we're just like not going to hold them in the mist. What about this, right? Now, hear me out. In this chapter, what are they talking about? Owen's not believing in the religion that he's preaching. Okay. They're also talking about how Kelsier didn't snap until he went sent to the pits. Despite being forced to go through all this oh. stuff, right? What if this is oh. preservation specifically, like, doing that to try to convince Elend of something? Because they're also talking about how the mists, like... Well, it's mentioned, like, oh, some people aren't allergic to an insect sting. Like, what if he's trying to get them to figure it out by having him be tested at that exact moment? I thought you were going to say you can compare to not snapping for so long, strangely, with Kelsier not doing so either. Well, it's similar to that. It's like, it's that idea. I like, I, I like it. I think there's definitely merit to it, especially given how they talk about, or part of Demu's spiel is that Kelsier was given his power by a divine source, and it turns out all Alamancers are, essentially, but... <laughs> I think that's that that's a interesting theory, and I like it. Just running along with this, 
again, this is like this is a bit more of a just kind of like a far cry. Like if he did, like if like preservation somehow like howled from the moo, like over that year, what if moo? So because the idea is the moo could have gone in the mist but not been hit, and so he's waiting. What if that was his sixteenth time being in the mist? Once oh, they started, like also fun. People also fun. Just, just kind of, just, just going uh, a little bit. Over. I don't, I don't necessarily. That would be that. I just thought of a problem. That would be know. because Demu knows he's part of the group that hasn't been inoculated, which implies that he knows he hasn't been in the mists. Does he, or does he think that him being out in the fine? Hmm. Like we're implying that pre Well of Ascension, the mists were. And that he was definitely out in the mist. Maybe he thought, I am out in the mist. At this point, I was out in the mist. At that time, everything, I'm good. But then we know in Well of Ascension, Preservation's plan went into effect, and the mist started snapping people. In which, I, I still think that maybe it started on the outside, came in, and then by the point it came in, Demu wasn't really out all that much. Or maybe the mist said to reach a certain point because, like, like you said, they it started on the outskirts of civilization. As the mist moved in, it became more and more prevalent. So maybe the mist had to reach a certain level of density, I guess, before it could have enough power to snap people. Maybe. Well, or it was, specifically, it was, the, it was the night. So the night that it started in Luthadel was the night that Bin went to the Well of Ascension. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and that was the first time we see it in Luthadel. But if he's, like, general of army and stuff, it could be, like, right, if they're specifically purposely keeping all the men inside, it'd be, it could also, like, on the argument of who never actually was in the mist, like, is he, Ellen specifically never let any of his army go out into the mist. So they start snap, like, after starts attacking people in Luthadel, probably next day he's like, none of our army goes out in the mist. Because their whole army had to be inoculated. The whole army. Right. Well, the majority. We didn't get that 16% exactly. The majority of the army. There were a couple or, people who had already been. Yeah, because Vin talks about having to adjust the numbers to include only the people who hadn't been out in the mists. Sure. Okay. So, the majority of the army now. But the point is, like, right, almost all of the entire army. So, if kind of that decree, like, went out, like, the next day, mist is, like, attacking people. Hey, if you haven't been out in the mists, don't go out in the mists. Mu could just now be like, I have to exemplify this to my men. They don't want to be like, we go to see in our tents while the mist is out. And the Mu's like strutting around out in the mist, be like, neener, neener, neener. You know? <laughs> like a, no, I like, I, a, I like that like too. Grown 21 year old that he is. Uh, <laughs> I definitely like the idea of in the movies having it be this is the 16th time we see him. Like, have it I, where we see it between Final Empire, Well of Ascension, we see him in the mist 15 times. 15 different scenes of him in the mist. I think that I would think be that, an that, awesome that every little single detail. Scene would be in the book. I just think it would be, that would be cool. Like, if you want to go the, like, he's been in the mist route, I think it would be, he's been in the mist and this is his 16th time. Or you go the route of, he just hasn't been in the mist at all, and here's, your, and here's some defenses. Why? Yeah. He just wrote it like that. It not be as believable, but for some reason. I think the implication is that he has not been out in the since 
it came to Lou Fidel. And ever since then, he has not been in the mist because he's been pretty much just doing as Ellen and the rest of the soldiers command are commanded to. I put up for the for the on Misty to move. <laughs> Anything else for this chapter? Let me check my notes. No, but also just a random thing. I hope we get a no- novella on Demu becoming a world hopper. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe in the Silverlight novella. In the Silverlight novella. short in the next we see collection. All yeah. of the people we've wanted. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to the final chapter 18. Uh, this is where we've got Sazed questioning his faith yet again. And returning to the pits, where surprisingly now every single pharaoh chemist or former terrorist is now in the area. Well, there are no pharaoh chemists besides Caesar. Right. Yes. That's that's the whole deal. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but he's every... the only one in the group that does he bring? No, house don't have it in their. Most of them probably still have it in their blood. A good chunk of them do, I should say. Not most. <laughs> chunk of them probably do. Especially the kids. Any kids that every terrorist. In schedule is now here, old and young, conjurer or not. Well, I mean, technically, it's uh, it's most most like it says that they're all there, but it, I there's always the off chance that it's kind of like have people. Has anybody seen Jeff? He stayed behind. No longer <laughs> well, I mean, they're like all there, Jeff. but like technically, terrorists like were that's it's all the terrorists that were inside of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like. Let me see if I got the name correct. Yep, you got it. Um. Right. All came down, but for there, we and we do assume that all of the other terrorists, like people, get hunted down by the Inquisitors. I don't know. Again, it's there's kind of this aspect of there's never like some omnipotent power that says, "Oh yes, for sure, all the terrorists were killed," or like all like all of the like. Arukamis were killed besides Sated and but yes for sure, like all of the Synod. It's just kind of like assumed. As you also never until you learn until it comes to Pa'on, you think all of the, you know, Chandra are now following Sated and all of the Chandra are like doing all the stuff and then one kinda of goes bonkers. So there's a chance that there there's some, you know, Arukamist. Yeah. You know, following the Lord, or still kind of just like out doing his own thing. And, you know, some just kind of like, nah, I don't really want to go back. Like, I'm just kind of antisocial. I'll just kind of sit over here with another <laughs> skull and just kind of farm. Out <laughs> uh, the middle of nowhere. I wanted to read off three quick quotes about Sazed. Okay, but they have to be shorter than an epigraph. <laughs> the hero of Aegis was removed from the terrorist people was not royalty himself, but came to it eventually. One who is separated from the terrorist people, a king of men, a rebel caught between two worlds. He is not of his people, yet fulfills all their wishes. That is Sazen. It is. I noticed his color scheme in this chapter was like he was on a gray horse and like Ellen was on a white horse. And and uh, that's just the kind, of, kind of thematically, he's like in between ruin and preservation. That means Marsh rides a black one. 
That or I was thinking like Vin in like a black mist cloak or something. Mm. Might be reading a little too much into it, but I like it. But you've also got Sazed saying like this is all his if he had not taught Vin like hope and faith and religion, then she would have let uh she would have saved Ellen and Ruin wouldn't be freed and all this wouldn't happen. How far back does Sazed doing something affect everything? Because if he doesn't do that, then he never becomes the hero. Yeah, well, everything, oh. because it's a book, so everything had to have <laughs> happened. True. But like, I'm saying Sazed specifically. <laughs> like, Sazed saves Vin, and I think that's like the early, earliest point in time where Sazed directly affects the events that lead to him ascending. Um, I mean, I would argue that anytime that he's, like, talking to Vin and, like, showing Vin, like, kindness and friendship in that first book are, is, like, leading towards that path because if she didn't have that, she wouldn't start to learn how to trust people. I mean, technically, if you want to go before on page, he was rejected of his people years before the book ever started. True. And like, to the, and that's part of his, like, he was rejected of his people. Happened, was it seven, nine-ish? I think it was somewhere around like yeah. seven to ten years before he, that he says he was working with the underground before he even ran into Kelsier. He was with Kelsier and knew Kelsier before the pits. And so it's like, or, or was it just after? I can't remember. But the point is, like, he's been, he was ousted at least a decade before the beginning of book one, uh, like, Final Empire. So that's when his legacy start. like, probably has even been started, like, before, like, he was the hero of ages the whole time, and his, like, his life's legacy leading up to it. You just see stuff in the book, but he talks about it beforehand. So there's things where he was out of his people and rejected by his people and fulfilling, fulfilling prophecy for potentially even before Vin was even born. So he was the hero of ages the whole time. He just like became it halfway through too. Yep. And of because in case point like he was he like his character was developed and written and to be this at the end of the you know third book, so <laughs> got to write it into his history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he really embodies that, which I I think to me is like cool that he like technically you can trace back the like filling the prophecy as early as you know before Vin started doing Mistborny stuff. Yep. Is there anything else we want to cover for this chapter set? Because I know we've been running on while uh, Dragon's been taking the lead. Thank you. It's nice to have you back. And it's nice of you to perfect take part in it. Daddy. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. You're making up for life. Uh, but if that's going to it... Well, I guess that's just about going to cover it. So thank you so much for joining us in our ramblings and predictions. We cannot wait to cover what is next. And this has been Cosmere Connections.
hope to see you next time. Count the skulls. Have a good one. It's sort of stuck on it. And it's fun and all, but I really don't know where it came from. Oh, this is day three? Two or three. I don't know. I've been doing it for a while. But it's uh, it's there, and it's just not going anywhere, so I don't know. I remember going to a robotics competition, and I just spoke with a Russian accent the entire time. <laughs> da, comrade, I can see you doing this. Yeah. And basically, it became to the point where people came up to my team, and they were like, where is the Russian? <laughs> All I that's, would do is I would just walk around. That's pretty good. I I think you should do that more often. I'll be right back. I'm gonna grab my licorice. I don't know why he sounds like Joe Pesci. Yeah, I was expecting a pirate. I Me was too. also expecting a pirate. <laughs> right? He got on, I was like, ahoy, matey. He was like <laughs> I'm walking it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's candy time. It's candy time. It's candy oh god, time. it's not working. Ah, how do I make it work? <laughs> do you well, uh, do you guys have quotes for the um the There intro? we go. Licorice. Ooh, Ooh black nice. licorice. No, no, not black licorice. Look, it's chocolate. Oh. It's backwards on the camera, but it's chocolate. Chocolate licorice sounds forwards. Like your your camera flips. When Why does it show it? me backwards on my screen? I can it... read it perfectly fine. That's yes. so it does that because when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror, we want to have our like if you raise your right hand for it to look like you're raising your right hand. Like when you're looking in your computer? That's stupid. I want to see what everybody else sees. Wait. Yeah, I kind of got to agree with John. Wait a second. You can you can change it. Oh. I I'm looking. I think change. it's got to be in here somewhere. That's why my Venom shirt looks like it says money. That's why it looks like Venom to us. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, <laughs> I want a shirt that says money. It's going to be like that on the podcast because I'm screen capping my screen. Oh my god, that's why I look so weird on the podcast, because it's flipped. (laughs) But that's how I always see myself. So maybe I don't look weird. Ah! Who voiced Philatides on Hercules? The goat? That was uh, Danny DeVito, I I thought. That's who you sound like. That's who you sound like. Danny DeVito? No, I don't sound like Danny DeVito. That's sound why like I kind of sound like Mort from Family Guy. I watch Family Guy, so I don't know. You don't watch Family What the? Who is this guy? I also don't watch Family Guy, so... Oh, yeah? Two people but I must bet. come from another planet or if something. I, if, I, if I started going like this, if I said, It seems today that all we see... on TV... Violence and movies and sex on TV. No, nothing. 
Well, where see. those good old-fashioned values for which we used to rely. See, Swiggity, that's unfair to me because I memorize songs really easily. So even if I only listen to a song like two or three times, I can usually get most of the lyrics. So, uh, like... <laughs> listen away. That just means you have an edge in Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing them, uh, some trivia before we got on today, and it was so frustrating because it was over the internet, and my internet connection was it must have been slower than everybody else because people were guessing like before the question even came up. And I was like, "How are you?" It was annoying. <laughs> and I had the right answer. Oh, Licorice is hollow. Just I kind of want to make a. Just because I know the words doesn't mean I actually know what song it is. <laughs> I have a weird thing where I'll like learn an entire song phonetically, but not know what any of the words are. <laughs> like that's kind of how it is. Like if I'm learning, like, like if I listen to a song like "Do Host," I can sing that whole song, by but I have no idea what half of the words are. <laughs> I think they I just know how to have. say the syllables. I kind of want to make a cocktail and drink it with this licorice because it's hollow. Do it, do it, do it. Yeah. We got the oh chocolate licorice there. It's better than black, I would say. Always been a bit bitter, I'd think. <laughs> this is the accent oh. episode. Oh, no. I I got this weird New York thing. Rita, you got Russian. No, that's who I am. I'm the grandpa from that Christmas movie with Chevy Chase. No, not Chevy. Yeah, Chevy Chase, the vacation <laughs> movie. You know, the grandpa with the stogie who lights the Christmas tree on fire? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's the movie. Nope, I haven't seen that one. Nope. I've heard of it. What the fuck planet are you people from? <laughs> I've seen one of those, but I don't think I've seen the Christmas one. I've seen Summer Vacation. My girlfriend makes me watch that movie like three times a year. And it's I all watch, in December. I watch Home Alone. Home Alone's my favorite Christmas movie. I've personally always been a fan of the Grinch. He's the only one who does Christmas right. <laughs> Fuck them kids. Um, my... My one of my previous roommates, she would always watch, um, oh no, White Christmas. Oh my god, not familiar my with that. My girlfriend one. made me watch that movie too. White Christmas, mm -hmm. it's like a it's an it's old like a timey 50s movie, yeah, and it's like a musical, yeah, uh, it's a musical, like Miracle on 49th Street, 43rd Street. 42nd sure, that, Street, isn't it? 42nd Street? No, 42nd, that's that's Douglas Adams. That's the night. I think it's Miracle on 34th Street. That's it is. Miracle on yeah, 34th Street. Okay. Thank you, yeah, Google. It says you're welcome. My favorite Christmas movie is probably and this is like a roll your eyes answer, but die hard. <laughs> yeah, I get that one a lot too. And I think that's the Christmas movie for people who don't like Christmas movies. Yeah. Basically. So I totally get it. I love the old stop motion by um 
Oh, sure. You've seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But you ain't seen Family Guy. Have you or seen the Rudolph National... sequel movie? What? Well, there's multiple, but have you seen the CGI sequel movie? We got a oh toy my that's God. trying to kidnap every other toy because it realized... Because it got thrown away. No. That's sad. This sounds like Angry Toy Story 7. Wait. It, it, thinking back, it is pretty much Lotso from Toy Story 3, but they did it long before Pixar ever did. You got this, like, teddy bear in, like, a trench coat kidnapping all Stop the right there. I don't think I'm old enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> But I tell you what else, uh, another really good Christmas movie for people who don't like Christmas movies, it's uh, Violent Night. Oh, Viking Santa Claus kills all these weird yeah. terrorist kidnapper people with a sledgehammer, and it's awesome. That movie's awesome. Oh, I wanted to see that. I didn't it's so good. Though. I love that They're movie. making a sequel, I heard. Oh, no. Yeah. Is that, who, who plays him? Is that, um... Captain, oh, I don't know. The guy I don't, from, Captain Canada? I, I don't know <laughs> actors. It's the Violet. guy from Stranger Things. Yeah. Night. Yeah, that sounds right. David. David Harbour? Yeah, David Harbour. Oh, that's boy. that's Santa Claus. Die Hard with Santa Claus. I also... The only thing. Go ahead, Kay. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you. You're good. I also greatly enjoy Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie. I I do enjoy that movie also, but I tend to think of it as a Halloween movie because it involves kidnappings and scary shit. You know, like a guy made out of bugs and stuff. That's that's kind of scary. So I think of it more as Halloween. That's fair. I never grew up watching it, so I never really enjoyed it. I only watched it for, like, the first time, I would say, like, four years ago. Didn't really have that big of a draw to it. Some people stop motion is, like, one of my favorite. <laughs> Some people, that's animation. their whole personality. Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but that's not <laughs> what I was going to say. What I was going to say is some people like Tim Burton, and some people are like you. <laughs> I just didn't have like the huge exclamation point for the movie. Like it was good. I liked the stop motion. I just didn't sing to you, huh? No. What's weird is this is Halloween. It's like one of my favorite Halloween songs. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Halloween. Everybody, Halloween. Yeah, I like that too. Making Christmas. I always get stuck in my head. I don't know that one. I like making Halloween better, but um, there was an album that I had a long time ago, and it was a bunch of like metal bands doing covers of that soundtrack. Oh, and it, it was like really Marilyn good because on it. I've, I've listened to it had that. Marilyn Manson, it had Corn, it had Flyleaf. Like they used um, maybe. Oh god, I can't. Those were the those were the three that I liked best because Corn did, um, kidnap Santa Claus, Santa Claus. And that one, that song was just fun to listen to. I wonder if I still have. This is where we check my old hard drive. My favorite Christmas song has to be um, Band Aids Feed the World. 
love that song. I don't know that one. It's feed the world, let them know it's Christmas time to feed. That one? Nope. They got, it was, Band-Aid was a, sorry. Vaguely, I recognize that song. It was a, I can't remember the right term, but they got like a whole bunch of people and different uh, singers all together, and it was a fundraise to help people in Africa feed the world. Do they know it's Christmas time? And if you listen to the lyrics, it's all about realizing, like, they don't have anything. I think... One of my favorite like childhood memories is me and my brother being unable to control our laughter at the idea of the song Christmas Shoes. Just like, why is it? Why is it a whole song about buying shoes? It's so stupid. And my mom just being pissed, like you guys don't understand. Some people can't afford oh, shoes. Oh, they made a movie with they made a movie with Rob Lowe about that song. <laughs> like it's really sweet. I get it now, you know, looking back. It's like, yeah, that that could mean a whole lot to somebody, but like as a kid just being like, I'm gonna buy these shoes. Why is it the chorus? It's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole Rob Lowe movie based upon that song. <sighs> Sorry, I just found a classic video game that is a favorite of mine. <laughs> Gal- Galaga? No, it's a game called Star Siege. It's a it's a mech piloting game. Well, it's great seeing you all again. I am a little bit tired. Yeah, jet lag will kill you every time. No, no, I've gotten past the jet lag. This is purely for the fact of waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning. By the way, IKEA does not come with screwdrivers. Correct. Why would you expect it to? Because they expect you to have the tool. <laughs> I got a tool for you. <laughs> How am I supposed to put Ikea together? They don't give me everything. I guess I'll have to get a screwdriver. I have to go get a screwdriver today. Yeah, you, you, you do. You gotta do that. <gasps> Shit, all of my music is gone. I'll have to go find my old external hard drive now. I'm gonna go use my really tiny and cramped bathroom and then I'll be ready to go. Well, um, it's cool that everybody kind of stepped up and was doing this on a Tuesday night. Um, I wish Rita was still here to hear it because it sounds like he's suffering a lot (laughs) having to wake up at two. But I think it's cool you guys got on here. Yeah, no problem. Kind of makes it feel like a tomorrow's Friday though. That sucks. <laughs> tomorrow's only Wednesday. <laughs> no. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Every day is Friday if you just don't show up. Mortal Kombat 2010. Did they make a Mortal Kombat movie a couple years ago? Sounds about right. Huh. Oh, Pacific Rim. <laughs> uh, a buddy of mine borrowed my external hard drive and put a bunch of movies and stuff on it for me. Do 
three flavors of Cornetto? Oh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Got it. I'm not convinced we'll ever get any new movies ever again. Yeah, Yeah, not if Disney has anything to say about it. They're just going to keep switching back and forth between live action and animated films. Disney only ever made movies that write and animate themselves. Like, what the hell? They only ever made, like, seven movies, and they just keep doing it again and again and again. It's all the same. What sequels are we talking about? Disney's live-action, like, princess movies and stuff. The fact that they just keep remaking their old animated movies and making them into live-action movies. See, on some level, I understand it. Like... The whole reason Disney exists is to try to tell stories in a new medium. The problem is that Disney can't seem to figure out does it want to redo the movies, enhance the movies, or do a completely new story. Yeah, and Disney keeps half-assing their, like, that, that part of it where they, like, kind of do a new story but they also kind of don't um but they're like saying it's the same movie but they're essentially doing a new story so like i haven't seen it but mulan i've heard a lot about they could have made a really good story about mulan but they instead said oh we want to do we don't want to do any of the elements that made the animated movie you know fun yeah but we're gonna do every single story beat from the animated movie they're still gonna go to the training camp you're still gonna have this thing you're gonna have the mark they can't decide don't get me started on the live action lion king that's not live action (laughs) same way that avatar isn't hyper-realism. But, like, Beauty and the Beast, I liked Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Evermore is, like, one of my favorite songs from the new Disney era. Aladdin's kind of in the middle for me, because I really like Aladdin 3. I just feel like that instead of remaking their old movies they should just make new movies <laughs> like i enjoy the live action remakes like but it's like why not just make a new movie like why do you feel the need to remake these old ones like well obviously should... obviously they don't care much for script writers and save them money on that It's because they can access two markets at the same time. The parents of the little kids who grew up watching the animated versions and want to see the new one. And then at the same time, they get the little kids who never saw the first one. And now they go back and they sell you the old one, too, because mom's all hung up on nostalgia and crying in the theaters and shit. Can you say you're my one last hope and you'll have to do? You're my one last hope and you'll have to do. Yeah, he's Phil. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Oh, hey, look, I underlined something in this book. <laughs> oh, did you? What did you underline? This, uh, on 
page 239 in my book, but it says, Ellen smiled. Oh, come on. You have to admit that you're unusual, Vin. You like some strange mixture of a noblewoman, a street urchin, and a cat. Plus, you've managed in our short three years together to kill not only my god, but my father, my brother, and my fiancé. <laughs> it's kind of like a homicidal hat trick. Strange foundation for a relationship, wouldn't you say? I'm just glad I don't have any other relative, close relatives. Ellen said, then he eyed her. For you, of course. I'm not about to drown myself if that's what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that homicidal hat trick line super well. I think we like referenced John, if it. You're trying to say something here on mute. Yeah, I think we did mention it. Oh, I actually, I, I modded the Discord server to cut out any time John tries to talk with that accent. Oh, okay, sounds good. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, you did. It. <laughs> uh, no, my mic was being weird. I I bumped it and I haven't fixed it yet. So any, but anyway, yeah, the um, hat trick is a phrase that comes from hockey, which they don't have in Luthadel. But it's it's a translation. Huh. It is, but that doesn't mean that idioms would translate over. What do they have that comes in threes? It's a localization. Mm-hmm. What do they have that comes it's, in threes? Um, it's still an idiom. Magic systems? Right, you got ferrochemy, alamancy, and hemallergy. I guess, guess you got that. A hemallergical hat trick. 